All right, welcome and good morning. A couple of weeks ago, somebody caught me in the lobby uh, just before one of our services, and they said, hey, Dan, like, I have been so fascinated by this story of Jonah that we've been reading, you know? Like, I didn't know all the stuff that happened. I knew there was a guy, and he supposedly got eaten by a whale. That was kind of all I knew about the whole thing. And I've been so intrigued by what we've been talking about that I did something I never thought I'd do. I went home and actually cracked open the Bible, and I read ahead in the story to see how it ended. Then that person looked me dead in the eye and they said, what the actual heck? (laughs) And I said, I totally get where you're coming from because the book of Jonah has a surprise ending. Well, it's not so much that it has a surprise ending. It's just that the book of Jonah ends surprisingly. You're like, wait, there's got to be another chapter. There's got to be something else because it's a cliffhanger. Surely there's something else to tie this all together, to summarize everything, to make it end on a happy, positive note. Wrong. It doesn't happen. Now, if you haven't read ahead, then you'll be surprised when we get to the end of chapter four and it just ends. And my guess is, as we read through this passage today, some of you are going to get to to verse 11 of chapter four and you're going to say, what the actual heck is going on here? Like, I've got so many questions, and it doesn't answer my questions. You might feel a little bit of frustration. I feel that when I read the book of Jonah. I still have unanswered questions as I get to the end of this story. But here's the cool thing. By the time we finish out this book, you are going to have a clearer understanding of your relationship with God because of Jonah's relationship with God. I'll tell you, by the time you leave this morning, you are not going to have all of your questions answered. In fact, chapter four is probably gonna surface some brand new questions and not give you anything in the way of answers. But that's okay, because you don't have to have all of the answers to take a step of faith. Rather, you have to have the right answers. And I believe Jonah ends by giving us the right answers that we need. But I'll just tell you straight up, okay? You need to prepare for this Before we get to those answers, chapter four is going to be a roller coaster, you guys. It is going to be full of ups and downs, highs and lows, twists and turns. So this morning, buckle up, okay? Because it is going to be an awesome chapter to read. And by the end, I believe it has the power to really transform what you believe about God. You guys ready to dive in? I certainly am. I've been looking forward to this for a very long time. Now, before we read chapter four, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. We're caught up. So if you haven't been here in past weeks, that's okay. You're not going to feel lost. Essentially, the story of Jonah is about a man named Jonah, and he was a prophet. He lived uh, in seven or 800 BC in ancient Israel. So this story happens a long time ago on the other side of the planet. And Jonah is a prophet. What that means is God would speak to him, and his job was to deliver that message to other people, usually his own country. But one day, God appears to Jonah, or he speaks to Jonah anyway, and he says, yo, Jay, swing by Nineveh for me. And Jonah says, Nineveh? I don't want to go to Nineveh. Now, if you're like, who the heck is Nineveh? Let me tell you. Nineveh was an ancient city, just one country over from where Jonah was. 
And these people were as evil, they were as vicious and as violent as you could possibly imagine. They made their living by victimizing the weaker people in their culture and around the world. These were militaristic people. This was a sadistic group of people. They not only conquered neighboring people, but they would torture neighboring people. And as a result, Jonah hated the Ninevites. Like deep down in his soul, he hated the Ninevites. So when God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to give them this message. I'm going to execute judgment on them if they don't change their ways. Jonah said, nuh-uh, no way. I'm not doing that, God. You better find somebody else because I got other things to do. He hated the Ninevites so much that he wouldn't even set foot in their city. So instead, the Bible tells us in chapter number one that Jonah goes to a port city called Joppa. And there he finds a ship and he gets on that ship that is sailing to another city across the Mediterranean Sea called Tarshish. Tarshish was basically the end of the world as they knew it at the time. And here's the interesting thing. It was in the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. The Bible actually tells us in chapter one, Jonah jumps on this ship hoping to escape from the Lord. But God's not gonna let Jonah get away. And so we read about how God sends a great storm into the path of this ship. He arranged for a great storm to meet Jonah right in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. In the midst of the storm, the Bible tells us that Jonah is thrown into the sea and it looks like it's all over. Jonah is going to be punished for being disobedient to God. But as we get to chapter two, what we find out is that God has other plans. And so the scripture tells us that Jonah was swallowed up by a great fish that God had arranged for just this purpose. Now, the, the Bible tells us in chapter two that Jonah spent three days and three nights alive in the belly of the whale. And I know there are some of you guys who are here this morning and you come from a skeptical perspective and you're like, for real? You guys believe that some guy got swallowed up by a giant fish and he lived in there for three days and three nights and then the fish spat him out and everything was cool? How dumb are you? I get that you might feel that way. That was my first thought when I read the book of Jonah the first time as well. It just seemed a little nutty, right? Can I encourage you, if you weren't here two weeks ago, when we talked about that particular moment in the scripture and the miracle and how we can believe that, yes, this actually happened and we're still normal, sane people, can I encourage you, go back and listen to our message from two weeks ago. It's only 30 minutes. It'll help you to understand how this can be literally true and be this amazing miracle at the same time same time. So while Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, he's got nothing left to do but pray. And so he finally turns his heart towards God. The Bible tells us he has a change of heart and mind. That is, he repents. And because of that, he says to God, God, if you'll give me a second chance, I promise you I'll go to Nineveh this time. I'll go. I'll tell them whatever the heck you want me to tell them. Just let me out of here. It smells. So the Bible tells us that the fish vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And in chapter three, Jonah makes good on his vow. He goes to Nineveh. Nineveh. He walks into the city. This was the leading cultural and military city of his day. He walks in. He preaches a one-line message of judgment. He says, guys, in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. And this crazy miracle happens in which every single person in the city of Nineveh believes Jonah and repents and turns to God. I bet 
By the time we get into chapter number four, Jonah is so stoked over what's happened. You guys, he's going to be so happy that, you know, all these people believed his message and they turned their hearts to Jesus like an entire generator to God. An entire generation of people are changed because Jonah was successful in delivering the message. I bet he's going to be pumped, right? Okay, let's look at what it says. Chapter number three, verse 10, let's wrap up where we have been. The scripture says, when God saw what the Ninevites had done, and how they put a stop to their evil ways. God, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction that he had threatened. Chapter four, verse one says, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. What? Wait, what? This is not how you would expect Jonah to react, is it? Do you understand? Jonah just won the Super Bowl of preaching, you guys. Like, he has just done the impossible. He should be so excited over what just happened. You'd expect him to be making victory laps around the city of Nineveh, being like, yep, that's me. Look what happened. Look what I did. Look what God accomplished through me. You'd think that people would be running up behind him and dumping buckets of Gatorade on his head. We won! We're going to Disneyland! They're so excited. That's what you would expect to happen. You would think Jonah would be a rock star from this day forward in his culture, right? He would be on the cover of every Ninevite magazine from now until the day he died. Everybody would be like, who's this Jonah cat? And how was he able to turn our entire culture with a one-line message of judgment? He would have been the keynote speaker at every single Jewish conference from here until the end of time. Everybody would have invited him and said, Jonah, tell us again. We want to hear this story. We want to know how you were able to do it. Do you understand that to this very day in 2019, Jonah has the second greatest come from behind victory in the history of the world. And in that moment, Jonah isn't thrilled. The Bible tells us he's furious. What? Shouldn't he be so happy? Shouldn't he be celebrating what God did through him? What the actual heck is this guy's problem? <laughs> what is going on with Jonah in his heart and mind that he would be furious when people turn their hearts to God? Well, the good news for you and I is that Jonah tells us exactly what the actual heck his problem is in verse number two. Look at what he says. He complained to the Lord about it and he said, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? This is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. The crazy thing about this is that Jonah is upset because God didn't do what Jonah thought he should do. See, God was just ready, waiting, eager to show grace and mercy to the Ninevites. But Jonah was convinced that the Ninevites deserved to be destroyed for their actions, for their values, for what they had done and what they stood for. And Jonah was equally convinced that God should want the Ninevites destroyed just as he did. And so Jonah couldn't handle it when God didn't feel the same way that Jonah did. See, Jonah didn't want a God of mercy. Jonah wanted a God of justice. 
Jonah didn't want a God of forgiveness. Jonah wanted a God of judgment. Jonah's problem, the thing that leads to him having an emotional meltdown in chapter number four, is that he wanted a God who was created in his image rather than the other way around. Jonah wanted a God that he alone could define and describe. He wanted to say, let me tell you about God. God hates the Ninevites. They are so evil and wicked. He'll smash them the first chance he gets. God, Jonah wanted to be able to say, this is what God's character is like. And this is what God does. And this is what God doesn't do. And shockingly, this God that Jonah had invented in his mind, the one who agreed with him on everything, he, this God hated everything that Jonah hated and he loved everything that Jonah loved. He acted precisely the way that Jonah wanted him to act. Isn't it kind of funny how that works? When we invent God, he does what we want him to do. He hates what we hate. He loves everything that we love. Look, stay with me for a sec, because this is really important. I'm going to give you two kind of bottom lines or principles today. This is the first one, and it's so critical that you get this. We find out here in verse number two that Jonah was not worshiping God. He was worshiping an idealized version of himself. Jonah didn't want a relationship with the real God. He wanted to invent a God who was just like him, but maybe a little bit better. A God who was all powerful and would use his power to judge the people that Jonah wanted judged and to bless the people that Jonah wanted blessed. We know this is true. We know that Jonah was not worshiping the true God of heaven because he couldn't handle it when God disagreed with him. He got bitter. He got petty when he realized he couldn't control God. Now look, let's just be real for a moment. Can we can we quit pretending? Can we be honest amongst ourselves? Many of us are guilty of this exact same thing, aren't we? I know I am at times. We don't want a relationship with an all-powerful, all-knowing God who is infinitely bigger and more mysterious than we can begin to comprehend. Instead, what most people do is we invent a God that we can control. A God who exists to make us comfortable and happy and blessed. We want a God who affirms everything that we affirm. We want a God who judges everyone that we would judge. We want a God who only votes the way that we vote. We want a God who will overlook our faults, but hold everyone else accountable for theirs. Hello. We want a God who is created in our image rather than acknowledging that we have been created in the image of God. Can I tell you, the, the God that Jonah had invented, the God that so many of us dream up in our mind in the 21st century, that God does not exist. Listen, one of the central themes of the book of Jonah, like one of the main things you're supposed to walk away from thinking about, understanding, dwelling on, it's not the miracles because the miracles aren't the point of the book. It's not even obedience, although that's one part of it. Rather, I'm telling you, the, the overarching theme that the book of Jonah wants to communicate to me and to you is that God is more powerful and more loving 
not just than we can understand, but God is more powerful and more loving than we want to acknowledge. Okay, that was a complicated sentence. Lots of dependent clauses and commas and dashes. Let me say it one more time because I really think this matters. One of the central themes you're supposed to walk away thinking about after reading the book of Jonah is that God is more powerful and more loving, not just than our brains can comprehend, but than our brains want to acknowledge. God is bigger than any one of us. God is not always what we expect him to be. Jonah found that out. Some of you are finding that out even now. As I read through this story, man, there's a question that bubbles up in my heart, and it's not, a, it's not an easy question for me to ask, but I can't ignore it when I read this text. And the question is this, how do I know if I'm making the same mistake as Jonah? Because Jonah wasn't worshiping the real God. He had created a one-dimensional God who was just like him, only slightly better. And I have to wonder, is there any possibility that I have done the same thing? Is there any possibility that this God that you and I gather together to sing about and to worship on Sunday mornings is not the real God? He's just a superficial, one-dimensional version of our best selves. Are we making the same mistake as Jonah? I wrestled with that question a lot. And I ended up coming up with three kind of um, diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves to know if we're making the same mistake as Jonah. And so I'm going to encourage you to ask these questions of yourself. Take a picture of them, write them down. Think about them throughout the week. Three questions. How do I know if I am worshiping the true God or a God of my own invention? So question one, how do I respond when God does something I disagree with? How do I respond when God does something I disagree with? That's how we knew that Jonah didn't have a relationship with a real God that existed. He got so upset. He threw a temper tantrum when God didn't do what he thought God should do. Can I say to you, if your God never challenges you, that's a huge red flag. If your God only intervenes when you need him and the rest of the time he just leaves you alone and lets you do what you want to do, that's something you should pay attention to. See, this is part of how we know the gospel, the story of God and Jesus, his work in the world. This is how we know the gospel is true because it is equally challenging to all people across all cultures, across all time periods. Do you understand that if you really dig into the Bible, you are going to find God doing things that you don't like. You will find God acting in ways that you don't expect. You'll find him forgiving people that you think should be judged. You'll find him judging people that you think should be forgiven. God does not always agree with us. It doesn't matter whether you're religious or non-religious, God is challenging. It doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, God is challenging. It doesn't matter if you belong to an ancient culture in the Middle East or a modern culture in North America. I'm just telling you, the more time you spend in this story, the more challenging you're going to find it. 
So how do I respond when God does something that I disagree with? If my reaction is to say, well, I couldn't believe in that God, then I am worshiping a God of my own invention, not the God who actually exists. Okay, second question. What is it that prompts me to engage with God? What is it that causes me to turn to God, to converse with God, to think about God? You may have noticed, you may not, there are only two times in this entire book that Jonah prays. Only two times. Everything that happens to him, there are only two times the guy ever prays. The first is when he gets gobbled up by the great whale. And the second is when things don't go his way in chapter four, when God doesn't destroy the Ninevites like he thought God should. See, Jonah only turns to God when things are going badly in his life. That's the only time he ever gives God any thought. The rest of the time, he doesn't need God. Why? Because he believes that God exists to bless Jonah, to do what Jonah wants him to do. And so as long as God is doing those things, then Jonah's like, cool, God, you're doing your job. You keep doing your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. And if I need you, I'll call for you, okay? Jonah, he only turns to God when things go badly. And man, if we're honest, that's true for so many of us, isn't it? Does that sound familiar to you? I mean, it sounds familiar to me. There are times where I have to admit things are going well. Church is doing great. My marriage is wonderful. I'm happy. And my mind forgets about God. But if the only time I turn to him is when things are going badly, then maybe I don't want a relationship with God. I just want God to get his act together. Maybe I'm just waiting for God, this God that I've invented, to do what I need him to do. He is a means to my end rather than me being a means to his end. Okay, I told you to buckle up this morning. All right, last question. Do I want something from God that I refuse to give to others? See, Jonah, in chapter number two, he seems to be saying, God, Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for giving me a second chance. But I will never forgive the Ninevites. Don't ask me to give them a second chance. Don't ask me to approve of you giving them a second chance. Jonah wanted something from God that he refused to give to other people. And let's just be honest we do the same thing. We say, God, bless me. But don't expect me to bless anybody else. Come on now. That's not, the, that's not the relationship we have here. You bless me, so I am blessed. That's how this works, right? We say, God, be generous to me. But don't ask me to be generous to anybody else. We say, God, Moving day is coming up in two weeks. We're moving house. I need some people to come over and lend a hand. Please move in their hearts so that they would come and serve. But don't ask me to go help anybody else when they got to move. Ain't nobody got time for that. I'm busy. We ask God to give us things that we refuse to give to others. And that's a problem. Another way this plays out is we say, God, thank you so much for the people 
who have spoken to me about faith, who've taught me about Jesus and helped me to grow in my love and relationship with you. I'm so thankful for them. But don't ever ask me to talk about my faith with anybody. Don't ask me to help share. Don't ask me to help other. No, that's not me. I'm the wrong guy. We want something from God that we refuse to give to other people. Listen, if you answer those questions and you answer them in such a way that you say, okay, maybe something's not right here. There's a disconnect between my relationship with God as I see him and God as I read about him in the Bible. I would beg you, don't ignore that. Don't overlook it. Don't wipe it away and and just kind of pretend like, oh, it's not a big deal. It is a problem. It was a problem for Jonah and it bore out in his life and in his actions and attitudes and the same thing will happen to us. So Jonah is so upset for God, so upset upset with God in chapter number four because God was not on board with his agenda. He's so upset that look at what Jonah says in verse number three. This is incredible. Jonah says to God, just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. If you're not going to destroy the Ninevites, God, forget it. I don't want anything to do with you. You can have your life back. I don't want any part of this if you're not going to do what I think you should do. So then the Bible says Jonah does something really interesting. He went out to the east side of the city and he made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah is still holding out hope that God is going to lay the smack down. He is really hoping that God is going to arrange for an asteroid to come down and just blow this city to smithereens. So he wanders out to a hillside just east of the city, and the Bible says he sits down to wait and see. Is God going to do what I think God should do? Now, come on. Jonah's being a little dramatic here, right? He's like a teenager having a meltdown. Just kill me. Forget it. I don't want anything to do with any of this if this is how it's going to be. He's being a little dramatic, but hey... So are you and I. We're dramatic all the time, you guys. God doesn't do what we expect him to do, so we throw a temper tantrum. We're like two-year-olds just rolling around on the floor. You didn't give me what I want. You didn't do what I thought you were going to do, God. You hate me. You don't love me. It's the end of the world, right? Now, look, at this point, I expect God to be furious with Jonah. Don't you? Like after everything God has done for Jonah, after everything God has done through Jonah, when Jonah says, God, just kill me now. I expect God to say, that's not a half bad idea. Where's that giant fish at? Come back over here. We're gonna take care of this, bro. That's what I expect. But here's the deal. What happens in the rest of this chapter is so weird. And it is so gentle and understated Quite frankly, you guys, I mean, I'm a pastor. I have degrees in the Bible and I read the last five verses of Jonah chapter number four and it literally blows up everything I think I understand about who God is. It's unbelievable. Jonah goes out to the side of the city. He sits down to watch and see if God is gonna bring destruction. Look at what happens in verse number six. As Jonah's sitting there, The Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow where he sat. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. I want to acknowledge here that the Bible says that God arranged for this leafy plant to grow. We're going to come back to that thought in just a moment. 
But can you imagine Jonah sitting there? It's a hot desert. Like they're in the middle of a rock. That's where Nineveh was. So he's sitting out in the hot desert. The sun is beating down on him. And miraculously, a plant grows up over his head in the space of a couple of hours and gives him shade, gives him relief. I can just imagine Jonah saying, finally, something is going right in my life. It's like everything has gone wrong to this point. Finally, God has blessed me and things are going my way. Remember, Jonah is one of those people that's only happy when things go his way. But God arranged, he appointed, he provided in some translations this plant to grow over Jonah's head. So we might think God is being nice to Jonah. He's going to win Jonah over by blessing him and loving him. But in verse number seven, the Bible says, but God also arranged for a worm. We talk about Jonah in the well. We never talk about Jonah in the worm, but here he is. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn, The worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. Verse 8, as the sun grew hot, Jonah, I'm sorry, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint. And again, he wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. There's an interesting word that has appeared many, many times throughout the book of Jonah. We haven't really done much to highlight it until this, but I'll just tell you, if you go back from chapter one all the way through chapter four, you know what you'll see? Over and again, God arranges or appoints or provides things in Jonah's life. God arranged for a ship. God arranged for a storm. God arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. God arranged for a shade plant to grow over his head. God arranged a worm to come along. God arranged a scorching east wind. Why? Because God is at work in every single one of your circumstances. God is at work in the circumstances that you would call blessings, and God is at work in the circumstances that you would call punishments. God is at work in your best days, and God is at work in your worst days. He is trying to accomplish something in you and through you. And he will sometimes use a whale and he will sometimes use a worm in order to bring about his will in your life. First time I read this, I thought, man, is God torturing Jonah? Like, this is mean. God, you're just mean to Jonah. Like, yes, I get it. He's a butthead. He's being a jerk. Like, he's being a baby. I get he needs an attitude adjustment. But it seems really cruel for this shade plant to grow up and to give Jonah shade and then for you to take it away from him. And then, not just take it away, but you compound the problem by sending this hot wind. It just seems really mean, God. But I don't think God is being mean here. I don't think so. It does feel like he's being mean sometimes. It does feel like God is torturing us, doesn't it? Like things finally start to go right in your life. Things finally just like they seem to fall in line and you get to make some progress and it's like a bit of relief. It's like a shade plant on a hot day. You're like, Jesus, thank you so much for this. This is exactly what I needed right now. And then a couple hours later, God arranges for a worm. Then he sends a hot wind on top of it. And you're left with, God, what, like, what are you doing? Why are you treating me like this? Why do you bless me only to take it away? Why do you do something good only to do something that seems to me wrong? I just, I don't understand what's happening here. This is like when you go through our fi- financial peace connect group 
and you're like, yes, I'm getting on the out of debt train. I am following biblical principles for money. I am going to do everything I'm supposed to do. And you pay off your debt and you relieve some of that financial pressure that you're under and then your transmission goes out. And you're like, for real? We just started saving money and now you're gonna send a worm to eat my transmission? Why? Why did you give me the blessing if you're just gonna take it away? And then two weeks after your transmission goes out, you get that income, you know, your income taxes filed and you owe a bunch of money and you're like, forget it, forget it. God blesses and he takes away. God sends the gift and then he sends the curse. At this point, you know what happens? Most people in our world fall into one of two camps. They either decide, okay, God can't be trusted because God can't be predicted. I don't know what he's gonna do day to day. I don't know if he's gonna bless me. I don't know if he's gonna curse me. I don't know if he's gonna give me something or if he's just gonna take it away from me. And so they say, whoever this God is, whether he exists or not, I'm not even sure, but I'll just tell you if he does exist, I don't think I can trust him because I never know what he's trying to do. That's one side of the spectrum. Other people go to a different side of the spectrum. And they say, you know what? God, if he exists, now, you know what? I don't even think God exists. Because life is random. There are good things that happen. There are bad things that happen. You can't predict. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. I don't know what the heck is going on. And so there's probably no meaning behind any of it at all. Hey, these two extremes that we go through, what they do is it highlights a symptom of the fact that deep down inside, we are just like Jonah. We want a God that we can predict and we can control. That's what we really want. This is essentially what Jonah's exchange in verse number nine with God is like. I mean, this is what it's about anyway. Like this is the last thing that Jonah's gonna say to God in this book. I want you to pay attention to this. The scripture says, this, this scorching east wind beats down on his head. Death is certainly better than living like this. So verse nine, God said to Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Come on, dude. Like, don't you think you're overreacting just the tiniest bit here? Is it right for you to be angry? You'd expect Jonah to say, no, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll calm down. I'm just frustrated, God. You know how it goes. That's not how Jonah responds. God says, is it right for you to be angry that the plant died? And Jonah says, yes, I'm angry enough to die. I Seriously, I'm so tired of this. Kill me. You're going to kill the plant. You might as well kill me. Jonah would rather die than have a relationship with the real God. See, if God isn't going to make Jonah happy and comfortable, then Jonah would rather not have anything to do with God because what good is he, right? Jonah believed that God existed to bless him and his desires and wants and needs in the world. Jonah believed that God existed for his purposes and not the other way around. This leads us to really the bottom line, the truth from today's message. And this is not gonna be easy to hear. This is going to confront what some of you believe about God. But if you are going to make progress in your faith, if you are going to have a breakthrough instead of a breakdown when it comes to Jesus, it is going to come because you understand this principle. God's goal is not to bless you. God's goal is to change the world through you. God's goal is not to bless you. God didn't put you here 
so that he can dump showers of blessing every day and nothing but blessing ever and only and always on top of your head. No, God's goal is something much bigger than that. God's goal is to use you to transform your office, to transform your classroom, to transform your job site, to transform your neighborhood, to transform the planet Earth. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta really internalize this truth. God does not exist for me. I exist for God. God does not exist to bless me. He exists to transform the world through me. Look at the way God ends the book of Jonah. He has the last word. He always has the last word. Verse number 10 and 11. The Lord said, Jonah, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? And oh, by the way, that's the end of the book of Jonah. It ends with a question. And the reason it ends this way is because you and I are supposed to then ask these same sorts of questions of ourselves. We like Jonah, we like Nineveh. Or are our hearts being changed so we're more like God? I told you a moment ago that God's goal is not to bless you. It's, it's not. His goal is to change the world through you. But here's the hard truth. In order for God to bring change through you, God is going to have to work some change in you. You're not ready to change the world yet. You could be. You'll get there. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, man, you can do miraculous things that people will be talking about for years and years to come. But only if you start to understand, I don't, if God doesn't exist for me and for my sake and for my blessing and my purposes in the world, I exist for God and what God is trying to do. Listen, whether he's using a whale or a shade plant or a worm or a scorching east wind or a direct message or a storm or some ungodly sailors or the repentance of people around you, whatever it is that God might use, he is constantly at work in your life and it's not to bless you, it is to equip you to show and share his love with the rest of the world. Look, let's just be real, okay? You and I, we're so much like Jonah. Our heart beats for ourselves, for us, for me, for my comfort, for my wants and wishes and desires in the world. But God's heart beats for something totally different. God's heart beats for all of creation. God's plans are bigger than any one of us. Look, we're not the center of the universe, guys. This isn't all about us. See, God's heart, yes, it beats for you, and it beats for Nineveh, and it beats for every square inch of his creation. Did you see in that last verse that God said, shouldn't I feel sorry for Nineveh, 120,000 people strong, and all the animals? Isn't that such a weird thing for God to say? He cares about the dogs and the cats and the cows and the camels? Yes, why? 
because his plans are not to bless people. His plans are to redeem and reconcile all of creation. This isn't your story, it's God's story. You get to play a role in this big story that he's working out in the world and thank God for that. But if we ever get the idea that life is all about us, then we have lost the heart of God. We have invented a new God. And when he doesn't come through, when he doesn't do what you expect him to do, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Because God is infinitely more loving. He's infinitely greater and more mysterious, quite frankly, than any of us will ever understand or care to admit. So look, until you understand this, until you understand that God's plan, it encompasses everyone, every nation, every race, every religion, every belief, every gender, every age, every location, every political view, until you understand that God's plan encompasses all of that equally, you're gonna have a yo-yo relationship with God. You're gonna be so thankful and loving to him when he gives you a shade plant and you're gonna be so angry at him when he sends a worm. But if you start to understand, okay, God's not, the things that he's doing, his, his goal is not to bless me, it's to bless the world through me, then sometimes you understand the worm and sometimes you understand the wind and sometimes you understand the whale. Those are the ways in which God is gonna change you so that you can help change the world. So we wrap up this series. I mean, we're done. We're not gonna talk about Jonah for a while now. So we wrap up this series. Can I tell you, if you're not ready, you're perfect. Like you are perfect for God's plans. You don't have to have a degree in the Bible. You don't have to be an ordained pastor. You could be a normal person who's trying to figure it out. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You can be as screwed up as Jonah was and God can still use you. There are two people or people groups in this entire book. And what we're forced to do is to say, which of these people groups am I like? And I think some of you, might say, you know what, after today, after the past few weeks, I realize I'm like Nineveh, you know? I'm, as, as that verse said, I'm wandering around in spiritual darkness. I don't even know what I'm doing, what I'm supposed to believe. I don't know where I should turn. Interestingly enough, the way that you would translate that phrase spiritual darkness, the way that you would translate it from the original Hebrew language is there are 120,000 people in the city who spiritually do not know their right hand from their left hand. That's literally what the text says. I don't know which way to turn. Should I go this way? Should I go to that church? Should I go to that religion? Should I believe what that Google search tells me? Where do I turn in life? I'll tell you, you turn up. You turn to God. You look to him because like the Ninevites, if you do, he will lavish you with love and grace. It doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what your life has been like in the past. If you turn to God, you will find out that he is full of mercy and grace and compassion. He is eager to show his love with everybody. So look, I just want to talk to you. those of you guys who are here and you say, I'm like the Ninevites. That's just me. I identify with the Ninevites. I've been doing my own thing. Hasn't worked out well. And I feel like recently God's been speaking to me and saying, this is your second chance. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to God. So if you would, I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. You don't have to pray this prayer, but if you're ready to do life with Jesus, to experience God's forgiveness and a fresh start from him, then I want to lead you in a short prayer that will help you take your first steps towards God. So you might say something like this, dear Jesus, I need forgiveness 
and a fresh start. And today, I'm receiving both from you. My friends, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, it's simple, it's short, it's not magic, but I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit has come into your heart. Jesus has become your Savior, and now you can make Jesus your Lord. You can say, okay, Jesus, show me how to live. Show me how to serve. Show me how to invest my life in something bigger than myself. Now, there are also those of you guys, you identify with Jonah throughout this series. Can I challenge you to release your expectations on God, to give up saying, okay, God, I know how you should act and I know who you should love and I know who you should judge. Can I just ask you to give up all of that? Can you say in your heart the same lyrics that we sang last week? Jesus, you don't owe me anything. I'm not here for blessings. You don't owe me anything. You've already given everything to me. Life is not about me. Life is about you. You don't exist to bless me and do what I think you should do. I exist to bless you and the world around me. I exist to do what you call me to do in the world. Wouldn't it be so amazing if Connect Church were filled with people who said, you know what? I'm not running anymore. I'm not running away anymore. I am going to Nineveh. I am going to love and share and show people what a relationship with God is like. I don't care how uncomfortable it is. I don't care what it costs me. I am willing to go. I'll build relationships. I'll speak up when the Spirit prompts me. I'll serve. I'll give. I'll do whatever it takes because I'm finally starting to realize life is short and it is not about me.